Bible reading today is from Matthew chapter 5, and it's the first 10 verses. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you all. Um, it's been a little while since I've been up here, and I've, I've got a PowerPoint, so anything could happen this morning. Um, so just bear with me. I'm not the most technically minded, so um, we'll have a go. If I just have talked for about 20 minutes and that hasn't changed, could someone please like give me a wave or something? <laughs> I'll try to remember to do it as I go, but here we go anyway. Um, yes, so we are continuing this morning our series uh, in the Beatitudes. And we are on the penultimate one now. Blessed are those, or blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or as it says in the message translation, you're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Um, I'll be honest with you, when I... um, first kind of read this, I wasn't really sure what to say. That P word, persecution, it's, it's quite a strong word, isn't it? And um, I'll admit, I've always struggled with the thought that as a Christian, I'm persecuted. Are we really persecuted here today in the UK? As we've already seen this morning, I often think, you know, that happens somewhere over there in the, you know, the global south or for um, our Christian brothers and sisters in the Middle East. And open doors do fantastic work in that regard. But that, that isn't something that we experience here in the UK, surely. Well, apparently I'm not the only one who... Uh, who has some thoughts on this or has some mixed feelings. There was a recent article uh, in Premier Christianity asking if Christians in the UK are persecuted. And there were some mixed kind of responses to that, which I found quite interesting. You know, some, some Christians were saying that we need to be very careful when we use this P word, persecution, because, you know, today... In the UK, we enjoy freedoms and religious liberties of a kind which most Christians in most of the world, for most of human history, could only have dreamt of. You know, when we say persecution, we think of people losing their lives, their liberty, or even their livelihood. We think of maybe churches being destroyed. 
and often this being state-sanctioned. Now, thankfully, that's not happening in the UK today. Others believe that there should be a sliding scale with authoritarian regimes kind of executing Christians on one end and at the other, beginning with name-calling, people being hated and rejected. And what begins with being misrepresented, being maligned, or in some cases, not being able to wear a cross round your neck to work, can only grow and spread. And denying that the title of persecution does nobody any favours. Whatever your view is this morning, and there's probably a range of views in the room today, it's clear that as the UK becomes more of a post-Christian society, flashpoints between Christians and the wider world will become more common. And this leads me to my first point. That when we follow Jesus, we shouldn't be surprised when persecution comes our way because of our desire for righteousness. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness in verse 6 of our reading, will suffer for the righteousness they crave. For righteousness, that's the, the right ordering of things, right relationships between God and people. And Andy spoke last week, didn't he, about peacemakers. And I don't think it's a coincidence that this beatitude immediately follows that one. You see, there's an ordering a flow to the Beatitudes. Matthew, Matthew is the, not me, the gospel writer Matthew has put them um, in this order with each one building on the previous. This is because I'm convinced that one of the hardest things a human being can do is to bring two people together who hate each other, reconcile them and bring peace. Because what's going to happen if you do it right? They're both going to hate you because you're not taking their side. And that's why pure in heart, in verse 8, which is just before being a peacemaker, is so important. And Paul echoes this in 2 Timothy 3 verse 12, when he says that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus will be persecuted. And the pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer who knew a thing or two about being persecuted, said, discipleship means allegiance to the suffering Christ. And it's therefore not at all surprising that Christians should be called upon to suffer. So when we follow Jesus, we shouldn't be surprised when persecution comes our way. This is great, isn't it? We're all being encouraged so far. Persecution is great. When When I read this, I was like, oh, this is so encouraging to everyone. Um, so we shouldn't be surprised. Um, so we shouldn't be surprised, but we're also not to be passive. Which leads me to my next point: that we react by praying for our enemies and for those who persecute us. We don't retaliate. We don't return like for like. We don't sulk, we don't turn to self-pity, we don't have to grin and bear it, 
and we don't have to pretend that we enjoy it. We pray. Jesus says later in chapter 5, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now that's a strong word, another strong word, enemy, isn't it? We, we don't have enemies today, do we? I don't know about you, but I don't know how helpful that word is. Because as the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, our enemy, our fight, is not against flesh and blood. It's against the powers and principalities in the heavenly realm. So when persecution comes, and that's going to look different for each of us, whether that's standing up for the marginalized or those discriminated against at work or at school or speaking up on behalf of people in our community that don't have a voice or maybe in our family, it's, our enemy is never a, the person standing in front of us. It's a clash of values. As followers of Jesus, we hunger and thirst for righteousness. We want to see the right ordering of God's world. We have Jesus as our king, and the values of that will ultimately butt up against the values of those who have themselves as king. It's a clash of two different values. I'll say that again. It's a clash of two different values. Those who have Jesus as their king, seeking his righteousness, and those that don't. So what about us? Can we think of any instances when we've come up against a clash of these two different values? I think this is one of the most countercultural and revolutionary calls of Jesus. It's one of the most outrageous things about our faith. That we're to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. And it really does go against the grain in lots of ways. Against our natural, <laughs> our natural human reactions. But that's what we're to do. And I know that might not be easy for some of us or even all of us. But we can ask God for help. We're not alone. And things can change through prayer. You know, earlier this year, we, uh, in, our, in our house group, we read this little book um, called The Ninefold Path of Jesus. Hidden Wisdom in the Beatitudes. And the author here just shares an instance of what he did. And I just want to read it to you. He says, at one of my first jobs as a groundskeeper, my foreman disliked me. He spoke harshly, ordered me around, and gave me the most difficult jobs. At breaks in the mechanic shop, he wouldn't even acknowledge my presence. I decided to try out Jesus' instruction to pray for those who mistreat you. Over the next couple of weeks, his demeanor toward me dramatically changed. We even became friends. I don't think it was necessarily anything mystical. Praying for him every day changed my attitude, which shifted the energy between us. So when we follow Jesus, 
we shouldn't be surprised when persecution comes our way. But we're also to pray for those who persecute us. And thirdly, not only are we to pray, but we're to do good to those who curse us. In the equivalent passage in Luke's gospel, in chapter 6, it says, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you. So in spite of all this persecution for the righteousness we seek and strive for, we're to keep doing good. But that can be hard, can't it? I know I find it hard sometimes. As I was preparing for this, I was just thinking of an instance at work earlier this year. Uh, Many of you know that I work for a homeless charity in Bradford, which provides supported accommodation. And I was moving a client from one of our properties to another. And it was meant to take a couple of hours. I, I thought, oh, the morning tops. But it ended up taking all day to move this individual. I, I couldn't believe it, actually. Um, but it wasn't just packing the boxes and filling the car that took all day. For the seven hours or so, maybe, that I was with him, he spent most of the time verbally abusing me, cursing me, swinging from angry to sarcastic and back again. And we exchanged some words. We had a a bit of a conversation about that. But I kept packing his things. And at the end of the day, we filled the car, I moved him, we unpacked, and he was settled into his new property. Now, I say that not to big me up at all, because actually what happened is later that night, all of that anger and verbal abuse that had been pulled out on me I promptly went and played football and poured it all out on the football pitch. (laughs) Uh, True story, and it wasn't pretty. Um, It's a reminder again that we need to pray because that's what I didn't do. And everything that I'd taken in came out in a a really unhealthy way. Um, And so it's also to say that when we keep doing good, We're not to be walked over and just take abuse. Far from it. And this is where the ordering, I believe, of the Beatitudes is important. And this is where I'll close. Again, in in this little book, The Ninefold Path of Jesus, he writes, The ordering of the Beatitudes is important. What if the Beatitudes map a progressive journey of spiritual development? First, trust the Creator's care. Then, lament what is broken and wait for divine comfort. Affirm your inherent dignity and worth. Embrace your agency and power. Receive mercy and respond with compassion. Tell the truth and live wholeheartedly. Reach past differences to find common ground. And then surrender to suffering or persecution. The order is important. The response, the surrender response must come from a place of strength, confidence, 
and courage. In other words, being certain, ultimately, of who we are in Christ. Or, to put it another way, if we think of these nine Beatitudes as like nine pieces of stained glass, and like stained glass, you can look at the individual pieces. Okay, you can't see that. That's meant to be red. I don't know if it looks red. Maybe it looks black. A very dark red. Okay. You can look at the individual pieces, but they're not made to be looked at separately. In the same way, think of these nine blessings as a stained glass window. There is an ordering to them with nine pieces of colored glass, and each one contributes to a whole. And you view each one in light of all the others. Because when you read the list, some of them are really puzzling. But then when you look at them all together, you realize how they fit into this beautiful portrait. So as I finish, if I could ask you all just to close your eyes for a moment before I pray. If we look at these nine blessings, which we've heard this morning, and the characteristics that they represent, who do we see in our mind's eye? Who do we see? One theologian said this. Can you think of somebody who came from poor, insignificant circumstances, who mourned and grieved over the state of this world and over the people that he met? And he was extremely important, but did not think of himself as important. And he longed to see God's world set right. And so with small acts of mercy to hurting individuals, he showed his pure devotion to the cause of the kingdom. And he inserted himself into dangerous situations between people who hated each other. He got persecuted and in fact was killed for it. And the death of Jesus, who is the perfect embodiment of these blessings. The death of Jesus is not the unfortunate death of Jesus, the great social worker. His death is actually the way that he epitomizes the value of the kingdom. By setting aside his status and as the representative of us all, dying in our place, as he took into himself the consequences of God's own justice on the screwed up ways of what we have done to each other and God's world. And in his resurrection from the dead, Jesus' commitment to the goodness of our world and to redeeming it, he offers hope and forgiveness and life to those that will grab on to him in faith. Jesus is the epitome of these blessings. And that is good news. It's good news for unimportant, insignificant, hurting people like you and like me. It's good news. And this is why we become more like Jesus when we experience persecution, because we're following in his footsteps of bringing God's righteousness to a broken world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for that reminder this morning that in 
the midst of the Beatitudes, we see the face of Jesus. And Father, as, as his followers, we shouldn't be surprised when persecution comes our way. But Lord, would that drive us closer to you in prayer? Would you keep our eyes fixed on you? And unlike me, when we receive abuse for doing good, or whatever it might be, Lord, that we turn to you first and foremost. And wherever each of us are at this morning, however this lands, God, I pray that each of us would know your closeness and that we would persevere and keep doing good so that ultimately we would become more like you, Jesus. Thank you that you showed us how to live and help us to keep following you, Lord. Amen.